In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first verse of a passage that is so very well known, a passage that brings to us the message of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Caesar Augustus was ruler over all the Roman world. He was Julius Caesar's great-nephew. He was the first Caesar to ever have the name Augustus. Augustus is a term, a title, usually given to gods of the Roman days. It means holy or revered. Caesar Augustus ruled with an iron fist, and he in Rome subdued all the world around them. And there was peace, a dark kind of peace. As one man wrote, a Hitler type of peace. This gives us the setting for the birth of our Savior. Let me pray and ask for God's blessing and for our attention as we look at his word tonight. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we live in a world so different from the time when our Savior Jesus Christ was born. Father, travel was so different then than it is now. Communication was so different. We ask, Father, that your spirit might enlighten us tonight. Lord, may we hear your word. Father, may I be able to speak a word with clarity so our hearts can hear and respond accordingly. We just thank you and praise you, God, for all that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Caesar Augustus, as I said, ruled with an iron fist. Because of this, he called all the people to register for taxation purposes. Chapter 2 of Luke, verses 3 through 6, read, All went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went from up, up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while there, the time came for her to give birth. If you can, I want you to imagine, because we travel in cars when it's cold and it's 10 degrees with maybe a wind chill factor of minus zero, we have warm cars. I want you just to place yourself in Mary's shoes, in Joseph's shoes, as they traveled from their home to Bethlehem. If they were fortunate, they had a donkey. Ladies, I know you know the feeling of being pregnant and being ready to deliver. I remember when my wife, Chris, was carrying both Zachary and Jared in those last months were so hard, the pain sometimes 
was, was, was hard. And, and I remember Chris at times at night not being able to sleep because her back hurt. Can you picture what poor Mary went through? The trip from home to Bethlehem was 70 to 80 miles. She didn't have a cushioned seat like we do. And however the trip was, whether she walked, whether she rode on a donkey, it was a cold trip. It was a dusty trip. I wonder what it's like for her as, as a teenager, being away from her mom and from her family and from her friends, knowing that she might well have her baby. It must have been distressing. And I wonder, I wonder if she were, cold, uh, if she were, were in the midst of the cold and everything, if she was afraid. Mary and Joseph were insignificant. If you think of all the people returned, there were peasants. There were nobodies in the eyes of many, uneducated, no value to many around them. And yet, and yet, God saw differently. And Mary, in her heart, knew who she was. In a song in Luke 1, 1, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And from now on, generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Mary and Joseph epitomize the mystery of grace. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, had not come to a wealthy family, a wealthy couple. Rather, he'd come to a poor couple. 700 years prior to his birth, Micah, prophesied about Bethlehem and says, though you are the smallest of the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will rule over all Israel. The Messiah was to be born in this insignificant Bethlehem. Can you imagine, though, as you think of them, Mary and Joseph, traveling to the little town of Bethlehem, even though it was very small. Can you imagine how tired she was, how weary? She must have been exhausted when she arrived. And then, and then the labor pain begins. Remember, she was no more than 14 to 17 years old, probably. Verse 2 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there's no place for them in the inn. The traveling accommodations for people back then weren't anything like what we have these days. Typically, the end or the inn 
back in those days was just a series of stalls within an enclosure. And out in the center part would be where all the animals were kept. The only provision given to people traveling was hay for their animals and fire to cook by. Of course, when Mary and Joseph arrived, there were no stalls available for them. And even though, despite of the urgency that this couple had, no one made room for them. There's probably, perhaps, this common courtyard where the animals stayed that Mary gave birth to little Jesus. I can't imagine what they were going through. Mary, I'm sure, wishing she were home, wishing her mom was there. And Joseph was probably lost as to what to do as he heard his wife cry out in pain. I don't know about you men, but I've been, was in the operating room, in the room when Chris gave birth, and she ended up having to have C-sections in both, and I felt a little squeamish when I saw the blood. I wonder what Joseph felt if he had to deliver. Our image of the place where Jesus Christ was born is sometimes very romantic. We, we have this picture of this clean-swept manger, probably quiet, no trouble, not much noise around. And yet, this courtyard probably smelled pretty bad. I, I was raised on a farm. And I know what barns smell like. There was a smell of manure. There was the smell, that pungent smell of straw that probably had urine from the animals. And then the animals themselves, they have a smell. Sometimes our romantic views are quite accurate. And I wonder what Joseph felt. I wonder what he felt when he couldn't stop the pain his wife was going through. He couldn't get rid of the stench in the stable. And did he struggle with the fact that they were poor and he couldn't care for his wife in the way he wanted to? Did he get upset with the people's indifference to their situation? Did he feel shame? Well, verse 7 says that she, being Mary, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. These swaddling cloths were just cloths that were used to straighten the limbs and to protect. It says that he was dressed in swaddling clothes, clothes of the normal people. You see, Christ, though the Son of God, wasn't dressed as a prince. He was dressed as a common man. The king of kings, 
The Son of God was born to a poor person, not a wealthy one. He came as a needy person to those who were in need. Think of it. The one who asked Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand, when I made the clouds, its garment, and wrapped in thick darkness, he now was wrapped in swaddling clothes. The omnipotent God, omnipresent, all-knowing, became a man, became human. No angels appeared to them as they did later to the shepherds. No heavenly trumpets rang. No voice from heaven announced the birth of the Son of God. Now, Mary and Joseph were alone. They were alone, far from family and from friends, in very primitive conditions. Mary gave birth. The Apostle John wrote it so well of incarnation. He says it this way. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, he has made him known. The infinite God both became both finite man and remained infinite God. And because this infinite God became man, Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted as we and yet without sin. Sometimes in life we try to make things complex. In Christianity and and the Christmas story, it's pretty simple. And the Christmas message is for all, as we saw in Scripture a while ago. It's for the simple, all the way up to the sophisticated. In verses 8 through 11 of, verse, of chapter 2, we read, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The first people to hear the Christmas story, to hear the good news, were shepherds. Why would God proclaim the Christmas story first to shepherds? Again, sometimes we romanticize these shepherds. The Bible is filled with some good examples of shepherds. 
We think back to Moses, who was a shepherd for a time period. Of course, David was a shepherd. And Jesus Christ was the good shepherd. But if you go back to that time period, shepherds did not have a good reputation. They were outcast. Because they lived in the fields, they couldn't keep the ceremonial law. And therefore, they were treated as ceremonially unclean. Shepherds had a bad reputation. They were considered liars and thieves. Their testimony wasn't even admissible in a court of law. They were despised. And with the exception of lepers, shepherds were the lowest class of people in Israel. And yet, and yet, God chose to proclaim the message of salvation first to these people. Working class sinners, working class sinners were the first to hear. We're reminded in this that the neediest sinner is who God cares for and who, and he comes to those who are desperate for grace, desperate for grace. For unto you is born this day. It's as if the angels, if you, I know you've been putting, wrapping gifts and putting little notes on them from or to so-and-so, from so-and-so. It's almost as if Jesus, uh, manger, there was a sticker put on it by the, by the angels, and it said, to the shepherds, from God. To the shepherds from God. And in doing this, in coming to the shepherds, he was showing them their personal significance. He was telling the angels that they mattered. Of course, Christ came not just for the shepherds, he came for all who receive him by faith. All who recognize their need for a Savior and repent and turn to him. Yes, the Christmas story is for all. From the simple to the sophisticated. And the Christmas story itself is simple in content. Again, sometimes we try to make things so complex. The angel said to the shepherds, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And as he spoke and proclaimed about Christ, that baby, the angel gave three titles. First was Savior. And it literally means deliverer. It's someone who rescues people from death and from destruction. The implication is that we need a Savior. And Christ came to deliver us from sin and from Satan and from the righteous wrath of God. He did this by dying on the cross. 
and rising again to give us eternal life. Matthew 1, 21, when the angel came to Joseph to, to make him aware of the conception, he says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. Reminded of Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ was given the title Savior because we need a Savior. Second title there was Christ, and Christ literally means Messiah. It was this, this Savior that the Jewish people had been looking for, that God had promised for centuries. And even though Christ has become a part of Jesus' name, it's really a title, and, and it literally means the anointed one. And when we think of the anointing, anointing I personally think of how the kings were anointed and how the priests were anointed with oil as a sign of their office. And Jesus Christ is king of kings and is king of kings. He will sit on the throne of David and reign forever. Jesus is a great high priest. He's a mediator between God and man. He makes intercession for us now. And of course, Jesus Christ is the prophet, God's final and great spokesman. Third title here was Lord. Until he was born a Savior, Christ the Lord. This is a divine title. This, this is a term of, of honor pointing to Jesus' deity, his sovereign rule over all. To say that he is Lord is to say that he is God. Jesus is the Lord God. These three titles are key importance. Again, the Lord signifies the sovereign rule as God. Savior points to our deliverer. And Christ points to his office as the Messiah. Well, the angels gave the shepherd a sign by which they had no and recognized this baby. It says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We know, as I said earlier, that all babies, for the most part, were wrapped in swaddling clothes. There's a manger. There's a manger that would identify them. Again, you think about a small town like Bethlehem. There were a lot of births in a small town. So they were able to identify him by that. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there were, was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the word multi here 
literally means myriads and mirrors, ten thousands of ten thousands. We have no idea how many, but there were a lot of angels there. Can you imagine? Can you imagine hearing the praise of God? The Christmas message is for all this, it's for the simple to the sophisticated. The Christmas message in its content is simple. Two is born this day, a Savior, Christ the Lord. And thirdly, the Christmas message is simple in its obligations. And by this, I don't mean that it's easy, but it's simple to understand. It's not complex. Verse 15 through 21, we read, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. In the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. There's a look at our obligation to the Christmas story. First, we must believe. We must believe in this Savior who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds believed when it was announced to them. Again, remember, there had been for centuries the Jewish people looked. They looked for the Messiah. But they believed. Secondly, we must seek him out as they did. Once the angels left, the shepherds decided to leave their flocks and go to Bethlehem and find the baby. And they went in haste, they said, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. They sought him out. The shepherds could have, like some of us sometimes, just sit around in a circle and talked about some theology of the Messiah. Or they could have said, that was interesting. Or maybe they might have said, that choir really sounded good. But they didn't. They didn't. They left in haste. They sought the baby. Third, they told others what happened. Again, remember, these shepherds were not trusted. They couldn't even be used as witnesses in court. They could have easily said, nobody will trust me. Nobody will believe me. But they went out. They told others. They told others. Because they were excited. 
You know, and you think about it, it really sounds kind of crazy. You see a bunch of angels singing to you, and this little baby that belongs to this poor couple, they didn't even have a stall. He's the Messiah? Right. Sure. That could have been their mindset. But you see, they saw the baby Jesus through eyes of faith. And when we see Jesus Christ through eyes of faith, we see things very differently. And we can't keep silent. We can't keep silent, can we? I remember when I came to Christ out of drugs and alcohol, I couldn't keep quiet. I knew my family needed to know Jesus Christ. When my brothers later on told me, Ralph, you really dogged me. You see, I knew that each of them needed to hear the gospel. And I knew as they talked, I knew what they needed. When we come to Christ, when we see Christ through the eyes of faith, we can't keep quiet. We can't keep quiet. Well, the fourth thing that they did was they glorified the Lord. It says in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen as it had been said to them. They went back to their daily lives, glorifying God in their daily lives. God has made it simple. We try to make things so complex sometimes. The Christmas message is for all, from the simple to the most sophisticated. The Christmas message is so simple in content. For unto you is born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. In those three words, those three titles, we're told that God sent a Savior for needy people who needed saving. He sent the Messiah that people had been waiting for for centuries, and that he was Lord, that he was God. The message is simple in content. The message is simple in its obligation. We're to believe. We're to seek him. We're to tell others about him. And we're to live lives that glorify him because of all that he's done for us. Well, the response of the shepherds was, again, to praise and to worship God and to be obedient. And it's easy for us, I think, for us to share with each other the, the, the struggles that we have as believers and, and the victories that we have. And it's easy for us to, to share as we sense God leading us and guiding us in direction. Sometimes it's hard for us to reach out to those who don't know Christ. I think, though, if we follow the shepherd's role, we go out we share who he is. Well, the story of Jesus does not end with him being wrapped in the swaddling clothes. Too often the beauty of the Christmas story 
is treated as if that's the whole story. But we need to remember, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, we celebrate the fact that the King of Kings, the Son of God, the Lord, the Savior, was sent from heaven to identify with us, to walk with us, to die for us, to be raised for us, and to relate to us. That's the story of Jesus, a story worthy of praise and worship. I love the song Fanny Crosby wrote some years ago. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. We gather here tonight to worship a risen Savior who came as a baby, who grew up, who died for our sins, who arose, who is in heaven interceding for us even now. That's the full story of the Christmas message. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bow down before you. We acknowledge so much our need for you. We are needy people. We need a Savior. We thank you. We thank you, Father, that life is in Christ. And, Father, as we try to fill our lives with so many other things, well, we know that nothing satisfies in the way that Christ does. We pray, Father, that as we continue our celebration, Father, that our hearts will be filled with joy in all that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.